and welcome to Dumbing Down Data. I'm your host, Carol, and here we're talking to people in the tech space to learn all their best kept secrets on how to break in and navigate the industry. And today we're talking to Nate, and I can't wait for you to hear his story. The reason being, he was an archaeology major and a musician, and now he's managing a team of software engineers. Again, he's managing a team of software engineers coming from an archaeology and then musician background. This is why I started this podcast, is to show you that you can really come from anywhere to become in tech, and it's incredible what he was able to do. It doesn't take much. It just takes some passion, drive, and a little bit of luck. I really hope that you enjoy this episode as much as I did recording it with him. And he's just a wonderful person too. It was a pleasure to be here with him today. Can't wait to see you all there. All right. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Dumbing Down Dato. I am so excited because today we have Nate. And I briefly spoke about Nate in my introduction, but he's here and he's here to talk to us in person and share a story. And I just can't even, yes, we're finally here, Nate, right? Um, so I told Nate that I was gonna have like a little bit of a, a what did I call it? Like a curveball at him. And what I wanted to do is ask him in his own words to maybe share a little bit about who you are, but also like what got us together in this podcast and like how this whole thing started. Because as I kind of brought it up a little bit in the um, in the introduction, you're a immense reason why this whole thing started. And I'm just so glad that you're alongside me here right now with me to do this whole thing and start it off. But I just wanna hear from your own words, like how did we get here? Why are we here today? Great, great curveball. I'm so excited to be here. And uh, I just love the the concept you have here and the lens for, for technology, just making it accessible, I feel like is so important. Uh, yeah, the story of how we we got here is a really good one. I feel like it's a great example of people coming together from from sort of at 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 CTL where we were different departments, different uh, positions, and uh, I remember we were in a meeting together, and something sparked in terms of how we were approaching the same issue, and you reached out uh, right after that just to chat more about the technology side and getting that other perspective and how we could, you know, work together to uh, to help help the users, really, at the end of the day, and from there, I felt like it was, it was a similar... Um, similar story getting into the the podcast you had this incredible idea of how to make technology and data more uh accessible for folks and um really that that is exactly in line with with how we came together it's um bringing technology into different spaces and seeing where the, the value is and how it can be used and how it can be understood um so I'm really glad you you reached out that day. <laughs> so no. It was a it was like um it was like definitely it started off from just having a common I guess problem I guess from two completely different sides like you said um, and then now here we are creating a project that has nothing to do with um, CTL but has everything to do with CTL at the same time which is why like what even got the whole thing inspired nate just like really also um just for those listening 
it was he really helped me feel empowered myself to do something like this because you know i i have technical background in some ways but nothing like you know the the data scientist or the software engineer or something so having nate even almost kind of what is the word um really reinforce the feelings that I have about what I want to do and where I want to go with like my small bit of knowledge of technology um, really helped me get this podcast out and in, in the open because I had this imposter syndrome, which I think we might talk a little bit about later, but you know I just didn't feel like it was anywhere near my realm of work, so I shouldn't even be touching it, but speaking to somebody who was like. Yeah, maybe I had the same feelings like maybe this is something that you as someone in training can uh, can work with me on it really helped me feel um, like I have I can actually take data by the horn so. So, um, (laughs) but with that, you know, Nate, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do at CTL just in general. Yeah, so I'm I'm a software engineer at crisis text line. working on the 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 web app that is is used the the platform as it's called um where our volunteers can interact with textures in a lot of a lot of ways and supervisors as well um things have changed a little bit over the past year for me there so my current role i'm a, a technical lead on a team uh that's that's really in charge of the conversation uh itself between a volunteer and a texture and uh, I've also moved into a people management role. So I'm overseeing four other developers who I've worked with closely for the last uh, year. So they're all really, really good folks. So that's um, a nice, easy transition, luckily, into what is a very different uh, day-to-day for me. But yeah, that's that's where I'm at now. And I think it's going to be really exciting because, you know, as much as we can get done today, we can get done and talk about, but Nate has a wealth of experience and knowledge and now including people management. And I think it's going to be one of those really interesting topics of um, the differences between you know software engineering and, and actually being right in front of the code and also then working with people who are in front of the code. So um, right. super excited to talk a little bit more about that. But, you know, we talked a little bit before the show, before we started filming, like how we might structure it, but we don't really know how it's going to go. So we're just going to see as we go, but then everybody else will get a little taste of it later. But my favorite question, because it really fascinated me as I was learning a little bit about you, is how did you get into all of this software engineering and data and everything like that? Sure. Yeah, I was a I was a late bloomer to to software engineering and um, really like any any version of of coding uh, that people get into. So I was. Um, I was actually an archaeology major at Appalachian State. I was uh, really into history, still am, and was kind of following that track um, and playing music at the time with uh, a few friends. We had formed a little band that uh, was really starting to get some legs at the time uh, in in comparison to just small, small bands of the world. Um, but yeah, when I graduated, we felt like we really wanted to make a run at that. So I spent a few years uh, playing music, trying to make a, a career out of that and traveling around the Southeast a little bit, uh, playing little dive bars and little venues and things like that. And, um, 
one of the big lessons that came out of that whole experience was that, you know, a, a, a band at that level is really like a, a very, very small business. And, you know, we didn't have money or resources to hire anyone for, for any of those auxiliary roles. So we were all playing the, the marketer, the um, financier, the, you know, uh, the web developer <laughs> is, is what I ended up taking on. You really, uh, trying to get something off the ground and, and there's a lot more that goes into it uh, than just playing the shows or writing the music. And so we were learning a lot. And I think for me, it was a big uh, opportunity to kind of see where my interests were uh, getting to kind of dabble in a lot of these different areas. And one of them just kind of on the side of, of getting the name out there and marketing, you know, you have to have a good social media presence and a web presence. And I'd always had a little interest in web development, but just didn't even know where to begin. Um, so I started trying to make a, a site for the band, which way back in the day, it started as like a WordPress site. Um, and then it was a Wix site, which is just a little um, drag and drop website editor that really anyone can use, which I, I recommend. It's, it's a really cool product. If it's still around, I haven't used it in years, but uh those were, the, you know, there's not much coding involved. WordPress, you write a little uh, CSS and HTML, but, um, you know, I, I just found the, the creative aspect of it, the design of the page, um, you know, gathering that content and making those decisions and, and seeing that uh, people were actually, you know, the site actually had traffic. People were going there and reacting to it. That was kind of my first uh, moment where I fell in love with uh, delivering something onto the web that that people could use, and so it kind of built from there. I um, I had we had a few bands that we always played with um, that were just close friends, and uh, ended up doing website for for one of them uh, that that uh, they used for a little while. And even there was a local uh, pub that we used to always play right there in Boone, North Carolina, that I uh, helped uh, start a website for them as well, which they're no longer in business, unfortunately. But um, it was seeing these opportunities where there were other folks that, you know, in my circle that um, wanted to get into that space onto the web and have that visibility but didn't really know how to approach the task. And I barely did either, but I just, you know, it was an opportunity to just kind of work these different projects from different angles. So um, that was really the first, that was the, that was the starter of it all. And I was building uh, sites at the time, starting to encode and random stuff, anything I could think of just because it was interesting most of which never made it uh into any kind of public setting and it was around that time that the band kind of fell apart um everybody was just getting to an age where they were going different ways and and had career opportunities were moving that kind of thing which is a, a common story in that world and um so for for me uh I, I, I turned to see what, what kind of career opportunities there were in tech. Um, I, I started at a really sort of um, bottom level, nothing against quality assurance engineers. They're very important, but it's not even really a common 
as common title anymore to have a separate role for that. But yeah, I got an internship as a, um, what was it? Junior QA technician intern for the summer, um, really just doing end-to-end testing, manual testing. You know, they would, the developers uh, uh, would push code onto like a staging environment and I would sit there and just try to break it all day basically and, and see if I could find anything that was going on and um, kind of built up from there in the QA world. Um, any of the QA folks listening will know the test automation became a, a and still is a big thing. So I was using um, tools like Selenium, which I think is still pretty popular, which is a testing framework that runs in the in a web browser. And so you can do really comprehensive UI testing where you're kind of clicking around the page, have automation that's clicking around the page and testing your workflows and stuff. Um, but I really, you know, I knew that the whole time I was really trying to work towards software engineering because that's where you're really building, you know, and, and in particular front-end software engineering because I was still chasing that sort of creative path um, where there would still be a little bit of allotment of, you know, that design role, and I'd be able to make some of those creative decisions. So uh, really at that time, and I, I, I think this is common amongst, uh, you know, colleagues of mine that I've talked to is, is, especially when you're coming into it without a computer science degree, which I did not have, as I mentioned, um, it feels really daunting to, to get in and then to move up, especially in that software engineering role. There's so much to know, and I hear this all the time with friends who are um, just trying to get into coding for the first time. It can be really overwhelming from the outside, even specifically software engineering, uh, even specifically front-end software engineering. And so it's kind of hard to tell where to start. There's a million different languages and frameworks and um, tools and, and all that. And, and it can be kind of overwhelming. I think what worked for me at that time was picking something as specific as I could and just trying to get good at, at that one thing or one or two things. I started um, working in React at that time, which is still super popular, but had, was, had kind of already blown up by then uh, as a front-end framework and made, you know, building out websites and JavaScript a ton easier. And, um, I was also just trying to learn as much as I could. I think that's another key thing at that stage is that there's so much information out there. Again, it can be overwhelming, but it's it's really just a blessing, the resource pool, uh, the, the training that is out there for free on any of these uh, languages and frameworks and all that, or you know, books that are, are fairly affordable. And so uh, I actually had an opportunity with that company. They had a program where they would pay uh was either two-thirds or 75 percent of your um uh the class by class tuition if you wanted to take night courses it was like a continuing education program that they had through there if it was you know uh applied to the track that you were on um so i was living in durham north carolina at the time i ended up taking some classes at nc state they had a um certificate program i can't remember the name of now some it was very it was it was similar to a boot camp but it was really 
uh, yeah, I guess it was kind of the the for your university version of a boot camp. What they would think of if they tried to build a boot camp because it was still kind of structured in a normal um, like three hour courses kind of a way. And I think it was supposed to take a year to complete, so it wasn't quite as as um, I guess like fast paced and intensive as like a three month boot camp where you're really like all in is. Uh, and it was tailored toward folks like me who were working full time, but needed, you know, some, some night learning options. So I did that for about a year. Um, with those classes, they were really helpful. It's, it's great to get into a classroom with other people because you can not just network, but you can ask questions to real people. You have a, uh, actual person who is a teacher who you can ask questions to which can be a little difficult if you're doing sort of the the youtube or um, uh, linkedin learning or plural site version of things and so I, that was a really good experience i was able to kind of gauge where i was and and where my growth needed to be amongst people who were in a very similar place that i was they were learning they were early in in their computer science um learning path so to speak and so um i ended up interviewing you know inside that company for for internally that a job became available for software engineer one and uh which is the you know the intro position for for a software engineer and it's kind of right on the back side of those classes and I, i remember just studying kind of anything and everything a lot of which didn't really come up. There's also great resources now I should mention for, for interviewing for um, software positions because it's such a specific kind of interview um, in terms of what's involved. And so uh, I didn't really have those resources at the time. We've got a little dog here who's gonna be uh, loud, but- Oh, that's yeah. good. No, we love dogs. There's, I love dogs. <laughs> Hopefully it's not too much, um, but yeah, the, the interview I thought went okay and uh, ended up getting the position. And uh, from there, you know, the learning can really take off because you're, you're suddenly doing it eight hours a day. And again, you're, you're, you're learning from, from all the folks around you. I, I always still today look for mentors in my space and in my circle that I can really latch on to for, for just growth. And I think that's a really crucial um part of the process is is being open to that learning and um finding people who are who are willing to like give the time to like meet you where you are and and um help you on that track and there's lots of them out there so that's definitely a big one um fast forward a little bit i ended up i worked there for a few more years i moved into a software engineer two position which is really just um, moving from sort of uh, taking in, you know, user stories or, or little tasks of work that are already well-defined and saying like, okay, I'm just going to code this up real quick at, to moving into a position where you're like helping make some of those decisions. You're thinking more about how the system should be designed. You're a part of those conversations. Um, you're You're becoming more of a, important piece of of the team dynamics and what goes into how you approach your work from from process to uh just 
code code ethics and code clarity and all that. You just kind of it's that stepping stone of of really starting to be a part of all those conversations that are shaping the direction of the product. Um, and that was that was a really good time. It was right around then that uh, I had a coworker leave and come to CTL, uh, who, speaking of which, was a mentor of mine and still is. Which, by the way, for um, we keep saying CTL, but Crisis Text Line is CTL. Crisis Text Line, sorry. Well, yes. Yeah, I, I, we, uh, Crisis Text Line. Shout out to Crisis Text Line, which is yeah. where we both work and well, formally I work. I guess I just am leaving in like a couple of days, actually. But, um, but yeah, Crisis Text Line for those of you who don't know is like what we're referring to. Yes, and a perfect um, segue there because when I first heard about Crisis Text Line, it was this dream job of a of a place to be working is when uh danny who i was just talking about had come over there he's telling me about it about the culture and the mission and the values of the organization um and uh, yeah i think it's worth touching on i was behind the product uh of the place i was we were building solutions for uh libraries and librarians and uh public universities, marketing materials for libraries, scheduling tools, uh, that kind of stuff. And definitely felt like we were, we were doing some good there. And yet there can be this um, separation that exists when, when you're on the engineering side to the product, because you have that, typically that product team layer that's in between you and the customer. And, um, you, it's it's possible to fall into a space where you're like, well, code is code is code. It's different from company to company to company. It doesn't really necessarily matter the product. I'm still, you know, focused on the the software side of things. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I will say coming to Crisis Text Line was, the, was really where I found that there's an extra layer that, that that can be there which is the mission that you're involved in and just caring about uh what you're getting out to the user every time you're delivering software and caring about you know the 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 platform um being stable and maintainable because it's important the work that's being done and being surrounded by people who also care about what's going on. They, they, you know, it is a, a, a job at the end of the day, but um, you, you sense that difference when people are not approaching their work as a kind of like a clock in for a paycheck and I clock out, but really care about what they're doing and, and what they're working on. It makes a huge cultural difference at the organization. So that was somewhat new to me. It was just a different um, slightly different culture than I had come from. Uh, again, no shade for for the company I was at previously. It's a great place, but uh, just not quite the level that that something like Crisis Text Line has. So that was really inspiring to me. Really motivated me and made me want to just dig in even further. Um, and by by the time I had come over to Crisis Text Line, I was feeling more confident in myself as an engineer and so was was able to kind of help start make making more decisions and and um and really just 
try to to help push the team in the right direction, those kinds of things. And so it was those roles that um, I think ended up, you know, making it possible for me to move into a senior software engineering role, which was just pretty recently actually. And then um, a couple months later into the tech lead on the team that I'm on. And, you know, you, you mentioned imposter syndrome earlier. I was already feeling that with the tech lead thing. I really haven't been doing this all that long, um, comparatively speaking. But I think one final point I'll put on this very long story is um, another thing I've, I've found that works is really following where your passions and skills are within software engineering. You know, I, I, I know some really, really great engineers that are, you know, invaluable when it comes to solving complex problems the right way in code, um, and yet don't have any interest in um, moving into a, there she is, that's Matilda. Oh, oh my gosh. In view. You come um, I'm more than happy to say hi to Matilda. That's like <laughs> down there, I don't know. Oh, um, yeah, but you know, maybe you don't have that interest in moving into a role where where you're really stepping away from code uh, by in, in its nature. You're moving into, um, like I said earlier, like process questions, team dynamics, um, forming the the roadmap of the work with with the product team, and so it's really just different than than you know a senior staff engineer role. And so I think um finding what what's in what you are you know naturally drawn to which for me was sort of um team efficiency and uh how we're working together collaboration communication those are all been things that i i have always just gravitated towards in in terms of um relentlessly trying to improve them i think that that was kind of the natural path was moving towards what ended up being um, uh, an eng manager one, I guess, is the the entry role, but just early on people management, which is something that I've only been doing now for, for about a month and something I'm still learning very much. So it's a completely different skill set, you know, than, than what software engineering is. And you kind of have to wear a slightly different hat uh, I know we, we might be able to get into that more later, but I'll I'll stop there. I think I, I think I think that's the tale. There's I mean there's so much that got me thinking like as you were talking about it, but it's like one thing that really stuck with me was when you were talking about your passions because like I'm in data, you know I work in technology. I'm about to move to an amazing new company, Skyhive. Shout out to Skyhive. Um, yeah that also works in technology and they do, you know, they, they do a lot of stuff around data. And, um, but what's interesting is just like what you said, it's like, you have to really believe in what you're doing. So I think that um, we have this concept that software engineers or data scientists, they need to be coding and they need to know like the mathematical equations of how to do a certain something, but like, really it's also like what you're doing like who you're doing it for and like what the mission is that you're doing it for it like all really matters and like I don't know for me it's like I'm teaching about it but on a lens of not necessarily like very technical but 
I'm in the same boat of just like growing that passion, same thing within the whole technological realm. So it's really interesting because it got me kind of thinking of like, like your trajectory being like, okay, like if I was working at a, you know, a clothing store and I was like a sales manager, like, you know, doing the sales for them. And then um, all of a sudden I'm managing the store. Like, you know, you're kind of like in the same store and you're just getting more responsibilities for the same area based on skills and you're gaining more skills. And then you start figuring out what you're good at and what you really like when you're still working in that realm, which for you would be software engineering, but now you're managing people who are also doing software engineering. And it's like, so connected all of it you know yeah well said and i think that's a great um example because there's an aspect there that is um needing to i think walk in those steps in those shoes to be able to effectively manage people in a, in a given industry and i've i've just recently been talking to some friends and and folks I've worked with previously since I've been moving into this and I've been reaching out for any tips and and help I can get. Um, And they talk about experiences they've had where a manager has been hired because they had management experience. And the the thought was, well, management experience is management experience is management experience. And they they were coming from a different industry. And I, I think to an extent, there's some amount of truth there. I mean, there are skills um, that you develop uh, in terms of of supporting people and and helping them grow and reach their goals and um, communicating the needs of the organization and and all those things that go into it. But at the same time, so much of the time I spend chatting with my um, direct reports is is a more specific issue that they need to, you know, be be met with and, and need to talk out, you know. And a lot of times it's a it's a coding problem or or something specific. That being able to draw on that experience, I think, is such an important part, you know, of, of being able to do that effectively. Yeah, and I think I mean it's just like it's just very interesting to see when you're when we think about management or and. Uh, anything to do with um, with a role within management or being managed, um, I I'm always like wondering like is it really about the skills involved or is it really about like the passions involved and also like how you're gonna put your best work forward? You know, you we cannot grow those skills too. So um, I think that there's I will be very interested to hear a little bit more about. Um, well, I had a question, kind of like a sidetrack of what we were doing, but. Um, <laughs> was really curious about do you think that there really is any difference between let's say managing a group of software engineers versus managing a team of let's say for me i don't know a, a training specialists or customer success managers or somewhere in like a non-technical realm um other than maybe knowing like the, the diehard skills do we need to know anything different as like a manager um, it's a great question. And I'll say up front, I, uh, this is something I'm still learning. So I'm so new to this role that I'm, I'm trying to kind of figure it out as I'm, as I'm growing in the role as well. But I do, I do think there's a lot of overlap there. Um, I think, you know, meeting people where they are is in and of itself, uh, a skill that, is is probably valuable across 
management in all industries. And I think one thing that, you know, a lot of people have experienced in the past is having a manager that is kind of hardlined, feels like they know the right way to do things and they have sort of one, you know, playbook that they're drawing from kind of whomever they're they're mentoring or, or managing. And I've already found that that just doesn't seem to, to be a good a good way of approaching it at all. People have very different needs and they bring different things to the table. You know, not everybody fits into one box. And again, we were talking about what, um, you know, what do you gravitate towards in, in the technology world? And there's a lot of different ways to go. Not everybody is, is going the same direction or wants the same things in terms of their career growth or where they're headed. And so I think, you know, understanding that really paying attention to, to listen to what, what, where people want to go and, and what they're interested in and where their areas of growth might be uh, is such an important first step. And that's just true with, you know, it's software is a team sport. I think that is often overlooked, especially for, for people who haven't been in it. You think of the, um, coder like sitting in the dark in the basement kind of by themselves you know always think that lines coming down right yeah it's it's so much different from that in in any kind of professional software development world I've ever been in it's so collaborative and it it relies on on shared ownership of work I mean that's that is such an important piece and so that what I was talking about in terms of, of meeting someone where they are, it goes for teams as well. When you join a new team, you there's not a playbook of how that group of five individuals will work. You know, a lot of people in the industry know Scrum or Agile as, as these frameworks for working more efficiently. And you, those aren't things that, that you can sort of check go through the checklist and just make sure you're, you're doing all of those pieces. They're tools that some combination of those tools work well for different groups. And it's just about finding what that combination, what that recipe is and iterating on it until it, you know, tastes a little better each time to continue on that analogy, but um, still listening and, and finding what, is already working and what could need some improvement is such an important part of, of kind of entering that space. Well, it's like, it's, it's very much, it, I mean, I keep saying this, but it goes back to like that human part of everything that we do, whether it's technology or any other type of role, you know, we like, I mean, it's it with the, first, one of the things that caught my attention what you said was like seeking those mentors like mm-hmm. why are we seeking mentors when we're dealing with technology which is technical because it's like there's humans behind the technology that we're working with and like there's creativity behind it which we were really talking about and we'll go into it maybe probably another time but like I just think that um it's it, there's so much human based around this kind of work that like we just don't we have nothing we have we're so blind to if we're not in it and that's why I think right. that this podcast was so important and 
and um and why you're so important to me nate because it's just like being able to really remember that there's so much that we can do outside of like just thinking of it from a technological perspective there's like creativity there's problem solving there's people there's collaboration there's like a, a common goal and a common mission involved in it there's also growth you know like you're coming from someone who was not anywhere near uh software engineering you were doing um archaeology and like now all of a sudden you're doing this and and now you're managing people and like these are all different skills and actually one of the questions i also had about was um was like how did you search for the first role actually that you looked for and how did you almost argue your point that you that you should be given that job um in qa i was just curious about that yeah 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 i had a i had a connection for that um for that company on the way in. So referrals are, are a big thing, uh, which I just happened to, to luck out there. So um, I, I still very much struggled with that interview. And I think, you know, there, there had to be some, some convincing there because I just didn't have much of a technical background other than just that ad hoc web development stuff. And this, goes forward to all interviews I've done since, but something I was really intentional about in that first conversation was, you know, I can, I can learn what I need to learn. I have a passion for this. I want to grow. I'm not there yet. And just sort of acknowledging the, the skills that we're missing and being okay saying, you know, no, I don't know what that is, but I'll go out and figure it out. And just bringing that mentality of, of, you know, this, this is a, a good investment on your part. And it was a weird way to think of it, but just uh, like, I'll, I'll um, grow into the, to the position and hopefully even beyond it was, was my ultimate goal. And so just, just getting that across and, you know, today, I, I still think that's a really valuable, you know, when I sit in on interviews of new candidates, I always look for, for that, you know, passion for continued learning and continued growth and wanting to do this, that just genuine interest. In it. Gosh. I think that was it. I'll let the dogs bark for a second. Uh, <laughs> Matilda's excited. She wants to talk a little bit more. She about is, it yeah. Well. yeah. <laughs> I love it. But, um, but no, I, I think it's, I mean, it just, it keeps becoming more interesting as I talk to you just because it's like, things like um, referrals, you know, like my, the job before crisis text line, I got um, having no notion of whether or not I would be ever qualified. And it goes back to this imposter syndrome. I'm like, could I really do this? Could I really be making this salary? Could I really be working with these clients and these types of people in this kind of a company with this type of a background? And then, you know, it's just like those like little growing building blocks and like being able to sell yourself, being able to like really believe in your passion, because I think that we are so unaware that our passions are our indicators of our strengths. And like, we may feel unqualified for something, but maybe you got hooked into this software engineering because there's a part of you that was telling you that this is where you're meant to be, but you're going to change the sphere of it here at CTL in its own in its own way. And I think that um, that we we forget right. that like we may not be quote unquote qualified, but like we really are. We're just like not aware of it ourselves. It's like some uh, my therapist actually she told me this. I was talking to her the other day about my experience having gotten this new job and like all of these like emotions behind it and how like 
cool calm and collected I was about it um and she was just like it that's what confidence is and confidence is the belief in yourself it's not about like looking big and buff it's just like I believe that I'm best capable of this job and and that's why I really I mean you helped me in my confidence for sure being able to be in front of you and in front of all these people talking about a topic that I didn't think I had as much knowledge about that maybe I do have, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Stepping into that, just jumping in is such a big part of it. Right. You know, and you find you might be good at things that you didn't expect to be, or, uh, you know, at least identify things that you can, can improve on. I think it's an important, it's the first step. All right, so I guess we're kind of coming into the closing of the general part of this podcast, which is what's going to lead me to a couple other really important questions that I think the two of us really agree upon. Um, the first one is, why do you think it is so important for people listening, for other people, for anyone who's listening to inspire other people to, to know about, why is it so important to understand at the very least the basics of technology and data or just like break into the surface of it, which I think listening to it, you're already doing so, but why do you think so in your own words? Sure. Yeah. I, I think we're all seeing, you know, for better or worse, this technology becoming just such a, a huge part of everyone's lives in terms of how we interact socially or, you know, all the way to how we build up our grocery lists and everything in between. It's just, um, it's such a, an important part of, of everything day to day. And I think it's, it's even somewhat unavoidable um, in a lot of ways. And so. It's true. It's uh, it, <laughs> like the perfect word, like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it's incredibly frustrating that that's the case. And I, I, notoriously uh, get frustrated by technology on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, and I think understanding the process of, of what goes into building these things, even at a basic level, and, and just kind of uh, some of those basic workings is a really great insight into how you're interacting with, with all these different pieces of technology in your life. And so it can really kind of make sense of those. It can help you appreciate uh, certain things and uh, identify, you know, what could be better, which is just a good thing for all of us to be doing. And, you know, that goes even, I think, into a lot of industries professionally for people. There are technologists in, in some way that they're working with. And uh, so, it's just an important piece of, of bridging that gap. And I think um, the more we, we do that from different perspectives, the better things will be. It goes, you know, from, from my side of things uh, on the, in the engineering world, there's a lot of poor decisions that can be made when we don't reach across, across the aisle, across, you know, the department or into an, another industry and really try to understand uh, not just the people we're, we're building something for, but what different uh, perspectives and, and, and different pools of knowledge can bring to how we're even thinking about the problem. Like a crisis text line, uh, 
involving the people who have uh, all that knowledge and experience in the mental health world is an incredibly crucial part about how we're even thinking about the service that we're providing. And I don't think engineers on their own would necessarily make some of those same decisions or some of the right decisions. I think that's true across the board. And so the more that anyone from wherever you're coming from is connecting to uh, people in technology and, and becoming involved, even in a basic way, I think will drive the general um, trend of how we're using it in the right direction and just make it better kind of for, for all, all people and in, in different ways, you know. It's almost like the more that people who feel like they are the least um, important to be able to have a conversation about it are the people that should be empowered to because it's going to make everybody's experience better. I mean, even just from our own experience talking to each other and like how we come from very different spheres, but my general feelings, I mean, we were our the meeting we were in was because I was we were our team was having a problem technologically that we were with you and product talking about and like trying to find a way a commonality of how can we solve it so that everybody is in everybody involved will have a good resolve and I think that if if you feel out there listening that you don't have a say in the in the conversation, you may be the most important person that we need to have that conversation with so. Um, it's 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 all kind yeah. of really connected just like the empowerment side of it, I think is just like going to be really crucial for everybody. Yeah, I completely agree. I don't think there's that wall anymore like there used to be that is sort of technology and people who are into that and then sort of the rest of us it just is so much more um, interconnected and so yeah those conversations are really important. It's so true. And Nate, Nate gave me, I, I actually talked to him a little bit about it and um, he kind of gave me a few, a few tips and tricks, but um, I wanted to ask you if you could share a little bit about what you think, like how could somebody listening maybe get a little bit more involved in this conversation? How could they um, learn more about it? I know Nate gave me some really general, but really good tips. And it kind of almost goes back to what you were talking about, like finding what you're interested in, because there's so much out there, but how could people maybe find more out? I think just, you know, listening to this podcast every single episode. Ah, I love it. Oh my. It's all the really. <laughs> um, I think <laughs> I know I, I emphasize this a bit, but but um those human connections and and you know mentorship relationships are so have been so important to me and I think can just be so important. So for anyone who at any level really, but especially if you're if you feel like you're looking from the outside at the sort of overwhelming and, and somewhat intimidating world that is software and technology, reaching out to the people in your lives that are um, more involved in that or have that passion, you know, if you have folks in your circle like that, um, in my experience, they're all very eager to help and talk about it and give resources out and all that stuff. And it's a great place to start because everyone who, you know, is in the, in the industry has been through that same process of feeling overwhelmed, you know, having that sense of, 
you know, I'm, I'm terrible at this today. I just can't figure this out and, and overcoming that again and again. And it's part of the process. And I, I think just it helps break down that wall to, to really talk to somebody and have them uh, just explain that it's like a very approachable thing, really more approachable than it seems. I love that. I think that's actually such a, it's, a, it's very philosophical in my head, but um, the concept of having mentors or people that you can just like ask questions to, I mean, like it, it makes a big difference just being able to dumb, have someone dumb down those topics for you so that mm -hmm. you can dumb down your topics for them. It's just like, a, like we're all, we're all here learning and we're all here to teach. So I think those are, that's actually not what I was expecting. You threw me a curveball because I wasn't expecting you to say that. So I, I really love that actually a lot. And, um, and something that I, I, I truly will take for myself as well. Um, so I appreciate that a lot. Um, and uh, I think Honestly, at this point, Nate, we have so much content to give to this world that I can't wait to keep keep going into. Um, I think that we just had a really great um, conversation touching on just almost like the imposter syndrome of like, how do you start? How do you know that like you can actually be involved in these conversations? Like this was just so much fun overall. I just I loved it. I'm so glad that we finally got to um, to get together and do this and and share a little bit more about your story, which I'm just so grateful that you're here on a Saturday doing for me. So um, this was just so much fun. Um, I'm so glad Matilda got to tell us a little bit more about her and her experiences as well. So that was great. Um, but I'm just so excited to see this evolve and continue. And um, I got a lot out of it. So I hope you did too. I really did. And I appreciate so much you taking the time too. I think I said at the beginning, but there there's this is such a great perspective on on the accessibility of everything that we're talking about just to, to tie it back around so i will be uh carefully listening for for any more content coming and i hope to be involved as much as i can and i really appreciate it i'm so excited and i have another question one more curveball at you but what makes you your happiest you what makes you just super happy oh Good question. A tough one. Well, but, it's gonna be a couple curveballs. I couldn't just don't go. With not just at one. Least a second one. <laughs> yeah, I think um, because of you know, I I I do love being in that technology space, but maybe because of that work, um, that release from work that that is is my version of of being a technology now, for me stepping away and and still losing my head in creating music is really where I um, most easily, I think, hit that flow, that kind of like, whoa, it's 2 a.m. How long have I been doing this kind of a thing? And oh, so, I love that. yeah, it's just that that step away. And I know, you know, everyone has that that thing that just is uh, a passion, I guess, is the way to say it. But that's my uh, that's my release these days still. I love that. That's cool. It just it goes to remind everybody that we're all just being us and human and we all have our creative flow. And I love that you use that word. It's the book I'm reading right now is the, the book Flow by Maheli. Oh my God, I cannot pronounce this person's name, but it's a really good book if anyone's listening <laughs> and wants a, a good book, but yeah. um, that's amazing. But in any case, Nate, I will see you soon, I'm sure. I can't yeah. wait to talk about this um, a little bit more further, but this was just so much fun. I had so much fun with you, so. Me too. Always. Yeah. Thank you so much.
All right. All right, everybody. We will talk later in another episode of Dumbing Down Data. See you then. Bye. Bye.